Hi, it's Keith from the Roaring Riot Podcast. This week we discuss the Panthers' meltdown against Buffalo, roster projections, and look ahead to the big third preseason game against the New England Patriots. We discuss the NFL merry-go-round and touch on where some former Panthers have landed. Let's talk about the bubble. We ask, do we really need four preseason games? And, of course, we sneak in a few 28-3 references. Join us for this and more on this week's Roaring Riot Podcast. Welcome to this week's episode of the Carolina Line with Al Wallace and Kevin Donnelly. I'm Stormy Bonantoni, and this is the show that helps raise your football IQ and helps you sound cool to your coworkers. I mm. think that's the one we're sticking that's with money. for for the time being, guys. Put it in ink. We're done. It's so true. It all makes sense. Uh, but last week, guys, we had a pretty good overall mark after the Bears' first preseason game. Everything seemed like it was working in line. The Panthers showed up, and then... Not so much on Friday when the Panthers fell to the Bills 27-14 to in the second game of the preseason. And when the most positive thing your head coach says after a game is, I thought we kicked the ball well, there were probably some issues, right? <laughs> Pilardi looked pretty good. <laughs> we had some punts and... Yeah, the kick, you know, and again, the kicker's doing, you know, Sly hit a couple of nice ones, so you're right. Yeah. Kicking game, but it was the, the MVP. Kicking game strong. That's right. But no, now that you guys have had some time to sit on Friday's game a little bit, what are some of your feelings, reactions, now that you can reflect on it a little bit? I mean, it was tough to watch. So you take a look at the game, and obviously we we're both there and, and looking at it from a field level. They just struggled. The energy wasn't there. Um you know, the enthusiasm you expect from this football team did not seem to be there, and they went out a little flat. You have a team across the field in the Buffalo Bills. You know, they uh, two practices under their belt, little brother, big brother scenario here with the Panthers and the Bills with all the uh, similar personnel, and uh, they didn't put up the best performance, and it's a shame to see. But I think this is a learning opportunity for Ron Rivera, for the guys on the team, for those veterans to kind of go back take a look at it, process all the things that weren't up to standard and get them corrected quickly. And it's tough because it's such a weird zone that we're in when you're talking preseason football because as fans, we're sitting there watching and we want them to perform or, you know, why aren't we running the ball more? Because you want to see the quarterbacks throw or why is the defense so vanilla right now? We should be blitzing them, but you're not really going to get the work that you want to see from these young men that are trying to make this team. And then on the other hand, it's like, but you want to feel good. You want to get used to winning. You want to have that winning culture. And so, you know, you're kind of torn on both sides of it. But I think coming out of it after a few days of digesting it, I think, you know, they probably got to see what they wanted to see from it. And there were some tough performances. I think guys could have played a lot better. And we'll, we'll touch on that as we do this podcast. But, you know, before we kind of get into specifics, for me, I think I mentioned it to Al on the sideline. I said, you know, this Panthers team broke camp last week mm-hmm. and, and got to go home and it's not an excuse but I've been I've seen this happen before when I was a, a team that traveled uh to do joint practice and then we played the game right after it and we're in their thing and they had broken camp at the same time uh but anyways sticking with that these guys broke camp they're at home they're getting used to their own bed and the kids again and all that the bills are hung up in a hotel you know, they're here. It's still a business trip for yeah, them. Yeah, so the Panthers have those distractions at home, and then the Bills are, like, gearing ready to go. Yeah, and it just – and camp is so grueling, and it's so tough, and it's so demanding, and you're away from your families for two and a half weeks. I think that, you know, you can take your foot off the gas a little bit. And I think all the guys, like exactly what Al said, were just a little bit flat. You know, I 
I was with the Dolphins when we went out to play San Diego in a preseason game and did practices all week. Uh, it wasn't just two days. It was it was a week of practices and then had the game at the end, and they broke camp. And I can remember, I mean, we, we did great in the preseason game, and it didn't matter. The records go out the window. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember how mad I was sitting in a, a dorm room at San Diego State University. Hey, that's um, my alma mater. Yes, we were, we were Way there. Way to plug that. I love it. <laughs> we were there. <laughs> hating like, well, I love the weather, though. Because coming doesn't? from Miami, oh, my goodness, it was uh, oh, a yeah. beautiful thing. No humidity, <laughs> the it's heat. for me. It was, at night, it was chilly. It was funny because all the fat dudes on the team, like myself, we're a perfect temperature for us. In the evenings, 55 degrees. I mean, no sweat. All of our little guys, skill guys, wide receivers, running backs. Freezing. They bought out the team store at San Diego State. <laughs> I mean, they're walking around with sweatshirts. <laughs> I mean, they got volleyball sweatshirts on and soccer, whatever was in the store because they needed some gear. They were freezing. This is a fantastic story. This is just <laughs> making my whole life right now. But that saying that, that's – that's a big deal when the, when you're breaking camp. It's a big distraction. So it just kind of set up. It didn't surprise me somewhat to see him come out a little bit flat. Yeah, they needed some more energy. They needed to find it somewhere. And and you know the the starters, a lot more starters got an opportunity to go out there and play. They just couldn't find the answer. They just couldn't get it going. And you know eventually uh, those guys are going to come out and turn it over to the role players, the backups, the guys that are fighting for those roster spots and. Uh, that energy, if it's flat, man, it's it's really hard. Football is such an emotional game, and if you're not playing with high emotion, you're going to get steamrolled. We're going to get into a lot of those starters that we did see, but, I mean, the biggest conversation topic of this entire game was the way that those backup quarterbacks performed, and it was, it was rough. You know, Ron Rivera keeps on talking about that QB2 is still wide open, and you can see that because – Kyle Allen and Will Greer were a combined 14 of 30, no touchdowns. And Greer had that long pick six, which was just brutal to watch. It was, you know, he's only like what second pass in. And, and that's the way that his day gets started. Um, I know last week when we talked, Kevin, you said that you felt it was kind of Kyle's job to lose. How tough is that when he comes in and, and performs the way that he does right off the bat? Yeah, I, I really felt good after that Bears game. I think we all did. Mm -hmm. He went out there and did a nice job. And going into this game, he just wanted to see another step in that progression and definitely took a step backward. And I think as um, someone that watches the Panthers closely and then also as a fan, it uh, just makes you nervous a little bit because of what the team went through last year. You know Cam's feeling great. You want him to continue. It's a big year for him, obviously. He needs to prove that he's back healthy if he wants to, um, you know, get re-signed by the team. And, you know, he needs to perform a certain way. But inevitably, we might need someone that comes in there for a game or two. Hopefully we don't. But if we do, can we depend on one of these guys? And and really, Taylor Heineke was the, the cream of the crop. Yeah, and he's kind of been the odd man out this whole training I mean, his, his rating for QB performance was 112, and you add the other two together. One was 44 for Allen and 40 for Will Greer. You, you add theirs together, it doesn't equal what what <laughs> Taylor good. was able to put out there. And um, But that's the kind of guy Taylor is. He's, he's scrappy. He's hard, always been discounted because he's not the biggest guy, and but he goes out there and performs. But – I would say, Al, you know, I'm nervous now. And, unfortunately, the position that we're in, you figure Cam's going to play about a half of football. That leads a half for these other guys. How many more throws or drives are they going to get in? Uh, obviously, you have the fourth preseason game. We'll have to get another look. But is that enough time to find someone and nail down who's that number two spot? Yeah, opportunity is always a, a huge word we use here, especially this time of season. 
in, in these preseason games. And both of these guys missed a huge opportunity. And I was looking at Will Greer uh, after Kyle Allen leaves like, hey, man, this is it. This is time for you to gain some ground if there's some ground to be gained here. And it just did not happen. You know, you expect from Kyle Allen a calm quarterback, great pocket presence, great decision making, uh, and a guy who is, is, is just very confident in his skill level. And now for as high as we were last week, I mean, it feels pretty low as we sit here today thinking about uh, QB2 and, and if something, God forbid, were to happen to Cam and we have either one of these guys in there as our backup quarterback as a long-term solution for the remainder of the year. And can you win? Is it a playoff team? All those things. So I just think they have to get better. And last week I talked so much about stacking good days together. Well, neither one of those guys were able to do that. I thought they were solid last week, verging, you know, on the verge of being uh, really, really good for Kyle Allen. And then you come back uh, this week, you know, against the Buffalo Bills and you just fall flat. You just look rattled. You don't make great decisions. You turn the ball over if you will, Greer. Not only turn it over, but a pick six. That's that's, you double down on big, bad things happening. So uh, those, those guys will get better. Again, a learning opportunity, a learning tool. They'll get those guys ironed out. But I will be happy to see QB1 out there this week against the New England Patriots uh, to see what he can do in this offense behind that revamped offensive line. That's interesting, though, that you say that they'll get this ironed out. Do you mean that they'll, we'll stick it out with these young guys and see what they can do? Obviously, you invest a lot with Greer as a draft pick. You liked what you saw from Kyle Allen throughout. And I will say that both of them have had good practices since. They have bounced back on the practice field. But do you, does that also mean that you start examining the, the veteran pool that could be out there, whether it be, you know, is that a consideration at this point as we head into week three of the preseason? I think you do. I think if you're Marty Herney and Matt Allen and those guys over there in the front office, the scouting department, your eyes are always on the waiver wire. You don't know how training camp is going to shake out, what veteran guys are going to be released, if they're a good fit for this system. It's going to be pretty tough bringing them in at the final hour, trying to get them oiled up in this North Turner offense. Um, But you have to keep your eye open. I think you like what you have. You're going to take those mistakes and you're going to try to get them corrected up. And I really do like Kyle Allen. And then Will Greer is a young guy. It's going to take a couple couple years. It's going to take some time. And that's just being part of being a quarterback in the NFL. So I'm not too concerned about him. But if you're Kyle Allen, you have to now reload and just prove um, that you can be Cam's backup. And, man, he dug himself in a hole that game. And I'll add, you know, with those that – you know, it's only one game. They have mm-hmm. all these practices that they're looking at. And so I think when you break down the performance, you know, with Kyle Allen, I thought the reads were really there. He mm-hmm. just was not on target with the throws. Yeah. A lot of high balls, um, one underthrown. Skipped a few, yeah. You know, and, and so that was kind of his thing. With Will Greer, it just seemed like maybe he didn't go through his reads or he's still trying to understand some of the concepts. And you expect that early on from a, a rookie quarterback. It's difficult. I mean, the, the pick six was, you know, it seemed like he had – Pre-medit- you know, predetermined where he was going to throw that thing, didn't really look at the flat coverage there because that moved out to the side exactly where that ball was going, and that resulted in the pick six, whereas he had looked inside a little bit more at Torrey Smith where he was cutting to the inside because the flat defender was going so wide. You know, it would have been a completion probably if he throws a good ball there. And, you know, for me, those are things that can be fine-tuned. Um, I know they're both competitors. They have a good skill set. It's, it's now about, though – reinstilling that confidence in those players that are around him. And I say this to kind of close out the quarterback situation. I guess what probably Al and I and a bunch of fans are really hyped for was the fact that, okay, these are backups that are competing for this, but, man, now look at the weapons they get to throw to this week. Right. The previous week it's – 
it's Terry Godwin and, you know, the other list of receivers that are trying to earn spots on this team. And then suddenly you got Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore, Hogan, Torrey Smith. And uh, the first right. guys, the offensive line is out there. The starters are protecting you also. Well, and it doesn't help your quarterbacks when your wide receivers weren't you know, having their flashes that we're accustomed to see either. And Kevin, I just, we, we have to throw this out there because at the end of the show last week, I asked you both, you know, who was somebody that you wanted or were excited to see, have a breakout performance that you needed to see a breakout day. (laughs) And yours was Curtis Samuel. You've been so hyped up on seeing him on the field. What was your heart feeling when you saw that first Kyle Allen ball go Curtis Samuel's way and it was underthrown and it didn't get there and like you were ready for the moment. I think Curtis was ready for the moment and then it didn't happen. It was it was there. Nice protection. I saw mm-hmm. the arm movement go and I'm thinking this is it. It's open space. He can grab this ball. He might have some room to run. You know, I really wanted the deep ball. That's all I've seen in the highlights <laughs> on Twitter and all these different things when I'm there at practice. I'm seeing him going deep and beating folks and I uh, just wanted to see him get the ball a couple of times so he could show what he could do, and it just didn't happen. And it was just a boop, 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 boop. <laughs> mm. The ball lands short. Wah, wah. Does you know? And he, you know, Curtis did, you know, have a couple of catches in the game, and you know, but just didn't have the opportunity. And really, that just goes to show the big drop off with with Cam and what he is and what he brings to this team and his backup quarterbacks. I mean, Cam Newton. Uh, is going to get the ball in the right spot, give them room to run afterwards. It's such a clean operation. So, um, you know, I can say with that is I know for sure we're getting a Cam-Curtis connection (laughs) this week. I'm going to speak it into existence. It's going to happen. Um, and it would be great to see it against the Patriots. I'm sure they want to see it, too. It's not just you. They want it as well. But, hey, the running backs, though, actually were a pretty bright spot on that offense, and it was so great to see Jordan Scarlett out there after not being able to watch him perform in the first preseason game, dealing with that sore back. What did you guys like out of him? I just like his confidence. I mean, he goes out there, obviously been a little dinged up during the preseason here, getting his first opportunities to go in there at running back. And obviously there's a log jam there with guys kind of vying for the backup to Christian McCaffrey. And uh, you have Cameron Artis Payne and Reggie Bonifon. You have a lot of guys there, Um, Elijah Holyfield. So he comes out and he catches the ball. He runs it really hard, breaking tackles. Um, and it's really dynamic, and you start to see the things. I, I really think this offense is built for a Christian McCaffrey-type running back that can do multiple things, and it's not one-dimensional, and you have that in Jordan Scarlett. So it's it's really neat to see these guys compete, but I also know what time of year it is. It's two weeks left. Those final cuts are coming, and somebody's going to miss out. But Jordan Scarlett was able to go out there and really etch his name in that list for backup to Christian McCaffrey. And it was a good showing. You know, the week before, not a strong running game against the Bears. This week, uh, over 100 yards rushing, nearly averaged five yards a carry between all the backs, and all of them had great showings with their averages. I mean, uh, Cameron Ars Payne averaged four and a half per carry, Bonifan five per carry, uh, and Scarlett 4.4 per carry. I mean, he got eight carries for 35 yards. I like what he brings to it. He is strong. He is fast. He's compact. He's able to keep moving those legs and, and push the pile forward. Um, had a nice catch out of the backfield. Got a good pass downfield. So his good hands. And um, I can't wait to see him get a lot of reps this week. I think, you know, you want to play Cam and Christian a bunch. But, you know, I think Jordan might be – let's 
let's get a deeper look at him when we go play the, the Patriots this week because let, let's see if he can continue that growth. That was his first preseason game ever. you know. Well, yeah, and I think that they're going to want to, right, after not getting the opportunity to see him against the Bears. And I like that you guys are touching on all of those players with it's Bonifon, Cameron Ars Payne, um, even Holyfield. Like, all of these players coming together are creating a really good battle and core for that backup running back position right now. Yeah, they're, they're solid. They all bring a little, you know, something different to the game. Holyfield, obviously, you stand next to the guy you know he's he's built for the job uh tough physical more of an inside runner but does have the skill set on the outside and then the i think the other three guys really have hands and are really good out in space i think the thing that's going to separate for me especially with the young guys is protection got to protect cam we talk about the offensive line all the time you know I, i really haven't paid attention to that part of their game how are they doing with blitz pickups and uh blocking in the passing game when they're not called to to be out on a route. So that's that's very important, and a lot of young running backs really struggle with protection uh, because they're going to have guys like myself, 270-pound defensive ends, if you're called to back on the block side of a protect, back side of a protection to block. I mean, what are you going to do? Are you going to chop his legs out? Are you going to stand up and take one in the nose? I mean, it's going to be difficult. You, you want to see that courage. Do you remember any instances in somebody specifically that you liked picking on? Yeah, Deshaun Foster and Stephen Davis <laughs> every day in practice. What? My own teammates. I loved it. Brutal. Because they couldn't chop block me in practice. Oh, I got you. So they, gotcha. they hated yeah. it, you know. So they would threaten me a couple times that, hey, man, you cannot keep bull rushing us. You, you know, you outweigh us 100 pounds. So we just, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. But in the game, you really know those guys. I'm not going to take you, you know, nose to nose. You have to find a way. We had this big orange uh, kind of studded ball. I mean, the ball must have weighed 75, 100 pounds that Coach Sal Sincere used to roll, and you have to practice getting your hands down, protecting your lower body, your mm-hmm. legs from those chop blocks. And it's kind of a drill I still see happening today because when you're one-on-one with the guy that's smaller than you, he's outmatched. He knows it, and he's going to kind of pull you in. The closer you get, he's going to drop below the knees, cut you out. That right L or shut on the front of your helmet is going to be in the grass and you're going to be chopped out. So those things are, are not so fun. So you have to figure out a way. And it takes some courage. It takes some real courage and some skills for those running backs to kind of butt up, man up on, on a big defensive end coming off the edge. And I think, you know, Al speaks about the physicality of it and that kind of how they're going to get that job done. But, you know, I think the a really big part of it is the trust factor because – the running back is so important to protection with these blitzers and different things coming. Stuff happens in a game so fast where someone shoots through an A gap or a B gap, whether it's between the center and guard or the guard and the tackle or someone from the outside. And oftentimes it's so bang, bang with the way these blitzes happen that the offensive linemen pick up their assignments, but sometimes someone just runs into them. They have to pick them up. They're not going to let them go free. It's up to the back to kind of, Make up for that mistake. And I don't want to say mistake, but they're an eraser that if someone takes your guy, you clean up and, and make it right and you change your assignment and go do something else mm-hmm. um, to make the protection sound. And I, I've seen Christian McCaffrey be able to do that last year. I know he's, um, you know, that Steelers game was a tough one to kind of remember, but there were several instances where he threw his body on the grenade to pick up some other lineman or someone else blitzing that really wasn't his assignment. Mm-hmm but just put his body out there to protect Cam. And, and I think a lot of people were super surprised to see him be able to pick up those like he was. Yeah, and, you know, and one time tried to, to cut one of those D linemen, but it's even with that, it's 330 pounds of 
mass coming at you. It's hard not to get caught up in the in the wave. You yeah, know, the tsunami coming at you. It's I just think so you much. said it best, Kevin. It's, you're throwing your body on the grenade, man. You that's going to be a hard battle to win. And um, you know, like you said, Stormy. I think so much of the Christian McCaffrey conversation for the first couple of years is he big enough to do all these things? Is he strong enough? But no one measured his heart. I mean, he steps in there. I mean, he's going to take an L for the team, but he's going to protect his quarterback, and that's what you like to see. It's only a split second that he has to butt up a guy, face him up, get that block, let Cam escape or slide through the protection to be able to deliver a strike down the field. So those guys, like I said, courage is the biggest word because you're going to lose a lot of those battles. Yeah, and I think, you know, what what happens with running backs and protection is when they bring a ton of guys up the middle – because basically that's the quickest pass to the quarterback. So you're going to rely on those linemen to almost kind of squeeze it down and protect that first line of defense there and just leave anything that's out wider. It takes a little longer to get to the quarterback. They can see it, pick them up, or cut them. And so the hardest part is these guys all squeeze down and you're left with a defensive end the size of Al Wallace out there that's 280 pounds you know, going <laughs> downhill. Um, and that's the guy you have to pick up. It's tough. It is tough. It takes a full-grown man, someone willing to put their face in a fan, you know, and just stand there and take, take it. it. Not fun. <laughs> well, that's why I didn't sign up for female football. Uh, but, no, while we're talking about protection, though, we might as well move into the offensive line group and the way that you feel they navigated um, the, the defense coming after them and the way that they protected. I think, in general, though, the starters looked pretty pretty solid we saw Matt Paradis in his first start out there Greg Van Roten's been Mr. Consistent so far what'd you think yeah I think overall I'd give him a positive grade I my belief is that you know some of the the run blocking things like that actually was pretty good Mm -hmm. I like seeing the lineman pull I loved what Matt Paradis did showing a couple times he can pull out of there very similar to what Ryan Khalil used to do and that's very difficult for a center to snap a ball and try and you know drop his hip back to gain uh, get around Lyman and pull outside. He did it exceptionally well. And then seeing Trey Turner get out there and Moten, some of those guys be able to block in space. That's some of the best runs that we saw from the offense, uh, especially with the first-team offensive line out there. thought there was a few struggles for um, Taylor Moten out there. Got a holding call, uh, gave up a sack where he was left kind of on an island out there. In the O-line room, we call that the Gilligan. He's on an island all by himself out there. And that's meaning the offensive line's sliding away from him, trying to pick up any blitzers or anyone that's coming in there. Uh, So he was left one-on-one with a defender and and just kind of lost his man and ended up getting a sack, which was tough to see. But, um, you know, it's the first preseason game for these guys, and that's live live action. And so he needs to – Continue to just keep working because, Al, you know it's going to take another step up when the Rams roll into town in September. Yeah, <laughs> you're going to have to deal with a lot of premier rushers. And I thought they were solid. The first look at this unit uh, in live action, how well they worked together, how well they were able to communicate. And for me, that center with Matt Paradis in the middle replacing a guy like Ryan Khalil, who you know quarterback that thing for so many years here for the – the Carolina Panthers. It was just great to see. Uh, my my biggest concern, I, I guess, the position I'm always watching is left tackle over there uh, with Williams and, and trying to, you know, Dow Williams making sure that for me is he athletic enough to play that position because you're going to get the premier pass rushers, the best guys, the best athletes are going to be coming from the quarterback's blind side, and he's just a big bruiser. You know, playing right tackle, most of those guys are your bigger, more physical, heavy guys for right-handed teams who like to run right side. And to see him over there, he did a great job. He was going up against Jerry Hughes, who's a veteran pass rusher, outside linebacker over there for the Buffalo Bills. And uh, he threw a lot of stuff at him. And and Darrell Williams was able to sit in there, 
anchor down with that big lower body that he has on a bull rush and also, you know, be great with his hands and his feet and keep his body between the defender and the quarterback on, on some of those other pass rush moves. So I thought they were solid. I thought they did a great job. And uh, I feel like they were better versus the run than the pass, but they weren't leaky against the pass. They're going to iron that out. And a lot of that has to do with communication and different protection calls. And don't you think, you know, on a side note that the Bills defense is going to be tough this year. I felt like, um, you know, Sean McDermott there and, you know, they got Hughes, the pass rusher, and Lawson had a, mm-hmm. another couple of really good plays. He's got some talent on that side, and uh, he's a defensive-minded coach. And you just really feel like he's going to uh, have that unit up and, and playing pretty well. Wouldn't surprise me if they're one of the better defenses in the yeah, league Yeah, statistically, year. I think there were maybe two overall in the league total defense. Uh, so they're a good unit. The secondary only gave up 180 passing yards a game. I mean, it's a very stout uh, defense, very good secondary with Micah Hyde back there, you know, and White at the corner. Um, this is a very good unit. They can get after you. So it's a good showing, very good test early on in the preseason. Yeah, especially those first and second team players. Oh, yeah. The first half was was a little bit tough. Uh, I know somebody that we always kind of want to talk about, though, is, is Greg Little. He was that draft pick and the question marks surrounding him. Uh, where do you think that he stands after that Bills game? I, I think he's right where he needs to be. Uh, really watched him closely and Dennis Daly, the two draft right. picks. I, to me, I mean, obviously the first round pick's going to be on the team or the early second round, I mm-hmm. should say, with Greg like, Little. Whoa, whoa, whoa. No, uh, but, um, <laughs> you know, with Daly being a six round pick, you know, that's kind of iffy, does he make a roster or not? But at this point, I've seen enough of what he can do pass blocking and running wise that he needs to be on this roster and sometimes you take a few risks with some younger guys on there you know you could get injuries we've seen it before and they'll be forced into action a little sooner than you expect but I think it's a risk you have to take because you know you're always trying to develop that next set of linemen and their skill set's just too good not to to keep Dennis Daly on the on this roster and just watching those two it's just another step along in their progression I'm seeing their technique get a little bit better they're getting a little more comfortable Uh, I think that you know with with Greg Little, it's just such a, a – like Al said, that's the position that everybody's going to watch, and it's real easy to nitpick because he's out on an island out there a lot of times against the defensive end. And so I don't want people to, to really go out and, and think this guy's not developing as quick as he should. I think he's right where he needs to be, and you give him a couple more weeks of preseason. And let me tell you, the Panthers are – they're getting their reps out of those two kids. Yeah. I mean, between the Bears and the yes. Bills, um, they may have the most reps of, of anybody um, – that's going to be counted on as a backup or even a starter on this team through these um, first two games. They've played a bunch, and that's what they need. They need to make these mistakes. They need to have some technical errors that they can go back on film, get with the O-line coach, and make it better for the next time. How long did it take for you in your career to feel like you got it, You know, to feel like you were up there at NFL game speed and that you had it and you were ready to go? I was a third-round pick, so being that type of pick, that means usually there's something you're lacking. You know, If you're a first-round talent, you're probably expected to be in there pretty quickly. For me, it took until my second year, and that's just the, the growth that I had, and mm-hmm. that's why I was so outspoken for – um, Galden, you know, going into second year. Mm-hmm. That's when I began to flourish. You know, it wasn't during training camp, but it was just this, that next step in the process where you just kept getting better and better because things kept slowing down for you. And that's how it happened for me and finally got to get in some games and uh, get in there for guys that were injured, things like that. And my confidence just soared. And I think with these two players, Daryl Williams has shown me enough that, yes, he can be the left tackle. And 
you know, what they struggled with last year was protection on that left side. They had, you know, Frank Clark – no, it was um, Chris Clark and then also Marshall Newhouse. Those were our two tackles, guys that basically from the street that they got out there. A lot of things that North Turner did, he was limited protection-wise because he always mm-hmm. wanted to provide them help. At least with Daryl Williams, if there's still a slow go with him recovering from the knee injury or there's a particular rusher one week – they can give them extra help, but now this this feels like you can open up the offense more because you're not keying your protection in to always make sure that left side is, is covered for Cam Newton's protection. You mentioned the Daryl Williams injury. I wonder also about Matt Paradis recovering from his broken leg. Obviously, it's been a while now, and he's full to form. He's ready to go. But what kind of a challenge is that, or do you feel like you might lose a step a little bit, especially being at that center anchored down position? Well, yeah, I can give you firsthand knowledge of that. We had similar breaks. I broke my ankle in a preseason in 1999, uh, just just bad, just broken fibula, have a plate and some screws in there. Ooh. And I think more than being ready physically, I think I may have rehabbed and been ready December felt good you're, you're running you're moving around on it. it's going to be sore it's going to get some you know take some time to get used to but that preseason it was all mental you know I need a couple guys to kind of roll on it fall get in a couple pileups just to make sure that thing was stable it wasn't going to re-break and things like that so I think with Paradis especially being at center in the middle of that offensive line where all the trash is happening around you it's that confidence mentally that you can hold up and that you're fine. I, I'm not worried about him at all. I watched him play. He's a pro. He's a veteran. And that ankle is not going to slow him down. It's not going to feel like it used to feel. But, that I mean, we suffer injuries every single day. Fingers pop out and, you know, sore elbows, sore wrists. I mean, things happen during the course of training camp. So, I think he's going to be good. It's part of it. I don't want to envision fingers Stormy. popping out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Stormy's face right now. <laughs> Stormy's face is hysterical. Sign up for it. (laughs) No, okay, so I have never broken a bone, never had any, like, not even a toe. So I can't, when I see some of these injuries, I just, I don't know how you guys deal with it and then go back out on the field mid-game. Like, people break their hand and then they get a club on and they're out later in the game. Like, it blows my mind. And Al, you, you could probably attest to this, right? When you're going through the season, your hands and wrists hurt constantly. Yes. It's just kind of the nature of it because you're, you're hitting guys. Things get caught. They get caught in pads, face masks, all these different things. So they're always sore, even if they're not broken or, or dislocated or whatever. They're just sore. And sure enough, you got to do some event. you got to meet somebody or you're you know, glad-handing at you know, some pant, like fan fest or whatever it is. And these fans want to come up and prove that they're a man, and they they give you the death grip. No. Yeah. I'm trying to go in for Broke the gentle, good, full handshake. Just and they and they'll even grip it early, you know, and grab the fingers and squeeze it real hard because I'm a tough guy, and it'll uh, break I'm it big down. And strong yeah. too. Yeah. Oh man, I'm like I'm I'm walking away from it like that guy just almost got a tear out of me. My hands are killing me right now, and he's got to grab it like he's. <laughs> yeah, you're talking <laughs> offense and defensive linemen, so. Like one of our biggest tools is our hands. You know, they want to get their hands on us. We want to use long arms and leverage and hands to keep those big bodies off of our smaller bodies. So you can only imagine how many times you jam fingers and pop them out, run on the sidelines. Uh, RV is popping them back in, buddy taping them together. And you're back out there before you miss a snap. So this kind of part of it and the pain threshold is just incredible. And the mentality of a football player, you just don't want to miss reps. You don't want to miss that were those opportunities that we have so you kind of live with it man you're talking about once you get out of training camp I mean everything's just 
beat to death by I, the time I, the season I got starts. one for you. I, we were about midway through the season. I was playing with the Houston Oilers. We were going against the Cleveland Browns. And I go pulling around, and I go to hit Michael Dean Perry. And as soon as I hit him, I had a good block. But, man, my, th- my hands were in a good position. But the way it got contorted, my right thumb got dislocated and broke. And I knew something was wrong with it. You know, when you have that kind of injury, you know it's painful, it's hurting, but, you know, you just kind of go on. So I go to get it checked after the series was over. I don't know if we had to punt or kick a field goal, whatever it was. Go to the sideline, and the trainer's like, okay, let's take a look at it. I had a bunch of tape on it already, so he cuts it off, and the thumb just kind of just flops down. He's like, oh, okay, let's uh, let's just tape that thing back up there. You can't go back in the game. We'll just put a little more plastic on there. And I ended up getting surgery on it when the season was over. But then I just went to a a cast where they basically put this big piece of fiberglass almost that was over my uh, thumb. It kind of hinged at the at the wrist there, and it was Mm -hmm. just a big heavy cast that I had to wear the whole rest of the year. And uh, that's what I was talking about. You just live with it. You just have to play with it because it's not enough to keep you out of a game. You just you just tape it up and go. Yeah, I I, I sack Michael Vick once and I get up and my fingers on fire. It's just it's it's like a match is inside of my glove. So I'm like, cool. You you run back to the sideline. Everything's okay. But on the way back, like I'm not a sweaty palms person, but my left hand is is wet. I'm it's just soaked. So I'm trying to figure out. Why am I nervous? Like, am I that excited that I sacked Michael Vick? So I go and, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm telling Ryan Vermillion, hey, I think I popped one of my fingers out. RV's been around for a yeah, while. Yeah, for a while. <laughs> I want you to help me pop it back in. So as soon as he gets the, the Velcro strip off the glove and we peel it back just one fraction of an inch, it's completely red. So I'm like, okay, like something, yeah. something's wrong. So – Take the whole glove off. He gets one of the water bottles. He starts to spray all the blood off. And we get to the tip of my finger. And oh, it's gosh. a scar right there. And it's the shiniest white bone. Sticking out of there. So he's basically like, okay, you're done. We're going to get you back in, get you stitched up. And I think it's it's maybe five minutes to halftime. Absolutely not. So they kind of just bandage it up and tape these two fingers together. You go back out there, and I think they put a couple stitches in at halftime. No big deal. You get back out there and play. But that, those aren't tough guy moments. That's just you want to compete. I mean, you know how hard you work to get to this point. A little bone, a little, a little blood, that's not going to kill you. I, one, one more, one more. <laughs> Can All I right. just say, though, yeah. I've never felt worse about the fact of how much I complained about a hangnail earlier today. <laughs> like, straight up, today, I was talking to my dad, and I was like, man, I bit my nail down too low, and it really, really hurts. I got this bad hangnail. You guys are over here, like, the struggle, bones the struggle, popping the out. The struggle's real with the uh, hangnail, though. I get that. <laughs> I get it. I get it. But one time, uh, we were playing Buffalo. I was with the Houston Oilers, and we were down a bunch of defensive linemen. So they're like, they call me over, Donnelly, Donnelly, we need you on field goal block, field goal block. You're 6'6", whatever. You got to get in there, just be the middle guy, pushing up the middle, do whatever you can. I'm like, all right, I got nothing to lose. I'm not on this team, you know, as a field goal rusher. Who knows, man, I might get lucky, get one of these things. <laughs> Could be my moment. Oh, man, I fired off the ball really hard. There's massive humanity behind me because it was back in the day where you could push guys yeah. too. So there was a, a, another lineman behind me pushing me. So it's 600 pounds of force on this guy. We're getting back. Obviously, he kicks the field goal. No one didn't block it, didn't have a chance. But I didn't understand the repercussion of being one of those first guys in there because then there's 10 bodies that land on me. And I land on my thumb wrong, so it's just the very top part of my thumb just went to the side. So it dislocated the very top part. 
the worst injury and in pain wise I've ever had. No, I'm like had looking it. at my thumbs right now Your and nail, just how yeah. awful that would be I've, if it was I've, over there. I broke the lower part of my thumb that I told you about. I've had an ACL. I've had you know other knee surgeries and problems, things like that in my career. Neck injury. I thought I was going to die. I'm on the and I'm telling people get off the pile. I go running off. I'm holding my thumb. I felt like a little kid that just got hurt at the playground or something. <laughs> boo boo. But man, that trainer popped it back in. It was just instant relief, instant relief, and uh, that was one of the funnier moments because I, I really thought I was going to make a difference out there, Al. I really did, but man, that's it's <laughs> a tough job, and there's a lot of people. A lot I of love people. the sound effects too. Like, can we get get that closer to the? Just popped it. Popped, popped it. it right in. <laughs> well, let's move on and talk to the the defense, uh, defensive side of the ball. They their depth on the defensive side, I feel like, continues to just be a little bit of an issue. This was our first time, though, seeing the majority of those defensive starters, minus Luke Keekley and Shaq Thompson. But from from what you did see from the starters out there and then from the depth after that. Yeah, Gerald McCoy is a beast. He's playing opposite of K.K. Short, who is still penetrating and causing havoc. And then Big Poe in the middle, I'm telling you, he didn't move an inch the entire game. I mean, he holds the center. He eats doubles. And he's going to allow guys like Luke Keekley and Shaq Thompson to run uh, freely. Now, you know, Smith and, and Jermaine Carter Jr. were in there, and they got picked on a little bit. You saw Cole Beasley kind of have a day. And we saw that a lot before. You know, with some nickelbacks, Captain Munnell was at nickel at some point uh, where they're going to run those option routes and, and kind of, you know, put them on that island that Kevin talked about with some of those offensive tackles. But I thought they were really stout up front. Those two guys are, are, are going to give offensive linemen headaches because they're so strong. They're so physical. And in this defense, this hybrid three, four, they're not, uh, you know, calling for them to get wide base and play flat along the line. They still want them to penetrate. Matter of fact, I, I charted a lot of the plays they were in. I think they only played 18 snaps. A lot of the times they were lining up in three techniques, but they were slanting strong or weak depending on uh, the call of the defense or the coverage behind them. So it was encouraging to see to know that they're not going to be sitting ducks in there, especially that front uh, where guys can just – tee off and expecting them to hold up double teams and, and letting the linebackers run. So it's going to be solid. Uh, Trey Boston in there at safety made some plays. Um, you know, Jackson is just incredible. You saw his ability to break out of a cover three, put his foot in the ground, and make a play on Shady McCoy out in the mm -hmm. flat. So this guy is, is, is good, and he's going to be exceptional alongside Bradbury. But the first look at those first guys – was solid for me. It was really good. I know they gave up some yards. It was a really long drive that resulted the opening drive in, in three points, a field goal there. Uh, but if when you add Luke Keekley in there and let Shaq. him and Shaq and let him quarterback that thing, you know it's going to be a different look. So it's very encouraging. I think uh, early in the season they're going to have to lean heavily on that unit to really stop, especially if we're talking about that Rams offense. Uh, they're going to have to stop those guys. And Luke Keekley, his understanding and dissecting of game plans and what the opponent wants to do is going to come in uh, very handy. What I think with Shaq too, he can cover that slot position a lot yes. better with his speed than than what Carter and, and Smith can do right now. Um, they're still growing as, as linebackers out there. And, you know, part of probably this vanilla game plan that Rivera talked about was let's put them in some situations. Let's test them out. Let's see what they can do um, and, and doing some of those things. And it, there was times, a lot of times, really, up the middle that there's easy passes that kept the chains moving because um, there wasn't anything dazzling that, that Josh Allen did out there with, you know, no. amazing throws or – 
unleashing the, the deep ball 70 yards downfield. Um, the, the pressure was getting there way too fast mm-hmm. if he held the ball at all. Um, there was people in his face all the time. He was basically just relying on quick rhythm passing, getting it to Cole Beasley, who was an easy target because he's just so much quicker and faster than some of the linebackers that had to cover him. Yeah, well, Coach Rivera and, and Coach Washington really left that first unit in a base front, in a base defense. So that's their base front First down, second down front, where you're expecting runs or play action passes, even when the offense didn't dictate that they should be in base, right? Maybe they should be in a nickel or a dime because they have more than two receivers out there. So you saw a lot on those option routes to Cole Beasley that it was to a three-receiver side. Well, there's no way that Jermaine Carter Jr. should be flexed out. That should be Captain Munnerlyn or Rashawn Galden if he's in big nickel that's going one-on-one with one of those shifty kind of Julian Edelman-type bodies that Cole Beasley is. Uh, So he's just outmatched, and not because he's not a heck of a football player, but because personnel-wise, they just wanted to stay vanilla. He wanted to see what he had in this defense with that base unit it out there, not subbing guys out, not replacing anybody, but it really put the linebackers in a, in a position to have to cover uh, not like bodies out there. Well, and speaking of those first team pass rushers creating some pressure early on, a name that we didn't mention was Mario Addison, and yeah. he got a sack out there. Yeah, for some reason, I'm starting to feel like Super Mario is becoming the the forgotten guy in this this group. Obviously, you're excited about the new toy and Brian Burns and Marquise Haynes is uh, having a great camp and, and being very productive and explosive off the edge. We saw Bruce Irvin. Both of those guys were able to kind of get to the quarterback and come off the edge, and we saw uh, them be stout against the run. But Mario just goes out there and plugs away, and that's what he's done his entire career. Uh, go out there. He's maybe not going to wow you with the Brian Burns dip and rip and lean that we see, but he finds a way. Way to get to the quarterback. Uh, we saw him drop off the line of scrimmage in that 3-4 defense in that first series, and he has to cover Shady McCoy out in the flat. Thank God it was a bad <laughs> pass because I, if I'm a betting man, I think Shady's going to put him on skates and, and run by him, and that's uh, that's not an indictment on Mario. Oh, I know. I was it's right beside Shady, It's still Shady McCoy. No, we, yeah. we were standing right next to each other when that play happened, and we looked at each other like, Kind of glad he didn't Good. catch it. But, Win for the home team. But at the same time, I wish he would have caught it. And then, you yeah. know, just to see what you he want could to see. do. Um, that is a big body trying to cover some space on a guy like Shady. Um, he makes people miss. That's yeah. all he's done his whole career. I talked about my own experience trying to be out in coverage and covering guys like that. It's just – he doesn't want to do that, trust me. He wants to get after the quarterback. So you can see him walking back to the huddle on the on the TV broadcast where he's looking like he knows this as well as I do. It's, <laughs> man, that was going to be a tough tough assignment there. But I think he's perfect for, you know, when they go to that nickel front and they're going to have four guys rushing. Yeah. Uh, there's a place for Mario. And you're right, there's not been a lot of talk because of the young pass rushers, but Mario's definitely a guy that – I mean, what's he gets seven, eight, nine, ten sacks for the, the last three, yeah. four years. Mm-hmm. Um, Consistent sack leader. You know what you can you can get with him. And I know you just briefly touched on you know the new toys and Brian Burns and them. Brian Burns didn't have a sack this time around, but you still after the the tweaked ankle last week, it was encouraging just to see him go out there and still have some burst. And then earlier at practice this week, he's been playing really well. As yeah, well. He, he did another solid job. He only got 15 reps, uh, up five from 10 that he got against the Chicago Bears. But you can still see the flash, I and mean, we we saw a. a you know, a a breakdown from Brian Baldinger talking about how this guy turns the corner and how it's just uncommon for a guy his size and his length to turn the corner, get two feet off the ground and still be able to put a hand down, keep his balance. So he's right there. He was close. He didn't 
you know, get to the quarterback. Uh, but he's a guy that's going to find consistent pressure all year long. And I, I really think uh, with Mario and with Bruce, um, you know, he's going to be a guy that's going to ha- have the opportunity to come off the bench, kind of spell them early on in the season. And, and that's going to bode well. Situational football, we can come off fresh and just be electric. I mean, he is the most exciting football player outside of Dante Jackson that they have on that side of the ball just because of the potential he has and the need that this unit has being 27th overall in the league in sacks we keep harping on that because they went out and addressed it right away so it's it was encouraging to see uh, Burns go out there again and Marquise Haynes make plays and Christian Miller get a sack in this last preseason game so uh, thumbs up to that unit they want to keep building off that and again my favorite word keep stacking those good days and good performances together and I think with these young guys, it's it's great to see that they have some moves that they're developing in their arsenal. Absolutely. And then actually having uh, a counter move to come off of that. And I think, you know, with Christian Miller, really made a nice move where, you know, got upfield, put stress on the tackle with his speed, and then knocked the arms down and was able to turn that corner real tight and, and get the sack. It was over. That sack was not counted. Obviously, it was a defensive penalty somewhere along mm-hmm. the line, but it was a great move by him. And then with Burns, you talk about how low he runs, you know, Oftentimes these sacks come for, not from that first move where you just beat a guy clean. I mean, that's great if you can do it, but tackles in this league are good enough. They're at least going to try and get hands on you. And then what's coming after that? And with him, the balance, the athleticism, his length, and then just that flexibility. And like Al said, how he can just run you know, two feet off the ground. That's where you see the Vaughn Millers, the athletic types like yeah. that, that are able to keep their feet and then go to that next thing to get a quarterback on the ground. And that's what's, I think, really encouraging for – for the Panthers and that defensive front is how quickly those guys are learning. Yeah, a lot of excitement, I think, to come out from him and somebody who I know, Al, you wanted to see some excitement from was Vernon Butler, and he only got seven snaps. So what did he show you in seven snaps? You know, we we talk about the depth, and and it's it's really a personnel issue that I have with the depth on the team, especially those interior linemen and and just just body sizes, right? You know, we talked about Brian Cox Jr. and – being we've given him 275 I don't know how much he weighs but just seeing him take those doubles on and Vernon Butler I mean you just you want to see more plays obviously the opportunities were down we'll we'll get to see what we have I'll say that we'll save that for the Pittsburgh Steelers game those starters going to be out of the way you're going to see practically a full game from all the backups so you'll figure out some tough decisions are going to have to be made but I think if you move forward with this team you're going to have to be able to spell McCoy and Short and Poe, and that's going to come from the Vernon Butlers and the Brian Cox Juniors and the F.A. Obatas. Can they stand in there and not get gashed because they're just they, they just don't have the body types to be in there in this particular defense? And I think Al's exactly right. You know, when I look at it, there's McCoy, K.K., Poe, and Kyle Love. Those are guys you can really count on to not get moved, take on some double teams, and just be stout. I mean, do not give ground. Everyone else, you know, I know double teams are hard, but you, you got to battle it or at least keep the guys from getting off to the next yes. level. And I saw too many of the, the backup guys getting pushed around or thrown out of their gaps because they're, like you said, body types are just, you know, trying to fit a, a round peg in a square hole. You know, they're going to just got to toughen up a little bit or find ways to be able to put them in the game where it's not going to be a liability for you because with a 3-4 front or even when they go to a nickel package where it's, you know, they're going four down linemen um, and you don't have, say, KK and Short, you got some other guys in there. I know I can count on Poe. Um, might not be the best pass rusher, but he's going to hold ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be that other guy? Is it Vern Butler standing up? You know, is he going to be the guy? Or is it F.A.? Can he 
kind of grab a hold of that? I know he gained a bunch of weight in the offseason, but is it enough? Yeah, I think what you have to do is realize if you have to put those guys in, you better move them. You better move them. You can't allow them to have one gap responsibility and allow them to get on those those double teams because they're going to have to make a choice. Either they're going to go for a ride or the other option is to let one guy go then you're creating problems for your linebackers because he's the, the, the offensive lineman is going to climb to the second level. He's going to capture your linebacker. That's going to create a natural gap, a natural running lane for those running backs. So it's going to be tough. I like what I saw early, especially with the first group, that they consistently moved Short and McCoy. They did not let those guys sit there and take on many double teams and just get pounded. They made their bones as 4-3, three, three techniques, and they're letting them do that, penetrate, disrupt, cause havoc in the backfield, and even in this 3-4 shell, they're still asking them to do the same thing. So that's that's a very good sign for what this defense could be. Well, and I'll tell you, it's oh, it, nothing's more frustrating for an offensive lineman. You, you think it's pass protection and third and longs and all that, but when you're a team that wants to run and you got a Christian McCaffrey and you, you got these other young backs that are stepping up and looking pretty good, when you can't move a guy in there, when there's a guy that's, you know, like Ted Washington. <laughs> Super um, or, you know, there's some guys I went against. Uh, there's a guy in Miami for a long time, Tim Bowens, who was just – he could not be moved. I mean, he was just – he just stood there, and it just seems like he could just post up and nothing was going to get by him. And those things just make it so frustrating, especially on the interior where you're talking about that if you can't get movement there, it blows up running plays from the get-go. Well, and I will say, just similar to what we said on the offensive side, the defense did come out – with a lot of good bursts, a lot of good energy at practice immediately following that game. So they realized they were a little lackadaisical out there, the the second and third teams. They wanted to set the tone and didn't, but have been having that show up at practice. Saw James Bradbury get two picks on Sunday. Luke Keekley, I think, had one Tuesday, so, I mean Monday. So um, definitely bright to see them come back out with a little bit of fire in practice. Their first time in the bubble Monday as well. So that's kind of a cool experience for those guys, right? Yeah, it's I mean, it's new. You know, it's something they haven't had here and with the weather, it gets I mean, it's hot out there in Charlotte right now. So just to get in there and experience that, knowing they're going to be protected later on in the season if it was raining or if we get some bad weather uh, weather with the snow, um but you, you heard from McCoy after that game, like it's just not good enough. And I think the expectation was that way from all those guys, uh, you know, specifically on that unit. So one thing that happens, and Kevin can talk talk about it, is as bad as we kind of maybe felt about their performance, they have to sit in those chairs the next day. That film, that eye in the sky does not lie. That red dot is going to be on you when you're getting washed out of there, uh, your performance isn't up to standard, you're going to get exposed. And that is a tough, a bitter pill to swallow with all your teammates around when you're just you're getting crushed in there. Not good. What is the worst situation in a room, whether it's after a preseason game, after a regular season game, whatever it is, and you're getting called out that you've ever had? Because I know uh, it's got to come to mind pretty quickly, right? Yeah, I had I had one after a regular season game. I've been playing well. I had a good season going for me. I was with the Houston Oilers. We were playing the San Francisco 49ers, and I had an old teammate of mine from North Carolina lined up against me, Roy Barker. And, you know, it was a solid NFL player. But not my, you know, not my guy. I went to college with man. He threw a little head shake on me when I, you know, all he's been doing is bull rushing and and ripping and all this stuff. I got beat clean. I mean, it was clean as a whistle. Sacks Warren Moon, and I'm sitting there, and it was probably two thirds of the game done. And so we're sitting in film, 
and all I'm thinking about is when we get to that play. I mean, just the clock ticking down, ticking down, ticking coming, down. It's coming. It's coming. And yeah, of course, I got I got yelled at. My technique was terrible, and I so many different things. And I think that's the worst part about it in film. After a game, you immediately, at least for offensive linemen, okay, I played 72 plays. There's three plays in there you do not want to see. Yeah. There's because you can't play a perfect game. I had guys that are in the Hall of Fame that I played next to tell me, look, I've never played a perfect game. It never happens. Um, and, and you try and get over that, but it, it, it stays with you. My wife knows it stays with me. You know, it'd been a couple of days until I got the pads on again Wednesday when I could start flushing it away and moving on to the next thing. It can be tough, out. Yeah, you can't sleep that night. You know it's coming, especially in a loss. Like in a win, everything's kind of glazed over, right? You're going to probably laugh at the mistakes and learn from them and move on. But if it's a loss and a bad loss, I mean, you know the coaches are going to harp on it. They're going to just drill you about it. And I, I remember playing up in Seattle and playing against Walter Jones, just a all-pro, Hall Stud. of Fame, yep. left tackle. And they run a draw. And I'm I'm backing up Rucker and, and Peppers and trying to generate some pass rush. So I, I'm, I'm in my track stance. I'm digging in. I'm going to get to the quarterback. I'm going to give him this fastball. I'm going to give him everything he has, right? So he sets like he always does. And I feel like I don't remember anything after that, right? So he sucks me up, Phil, and then he has this bear of a hand, slaps me in the back. I probably go tumbling five yards, and they run a draw for a touchdown. And I'm thinking to myself, that's not going to look good on film. So it's a long run back to the sidelines after that, and I can see Foxy just steaming and Sal shaking his head, and I have to go on the red phone and talk to Mike <laughs> Turgovic up in the box. So I knew what was coming, and Coach Fox, the head coach, gets the red dot and puts it on my back in the defensive meeting uh, that next day and said, this is not winning. This is not a winning rep, and that's embarrassing. That, that, was, that was a tough one that's for me. That's the worst is – Usually you're, coach. You're, you're breaking it down usually as um, your position group. So you're usually just getting beat down by your position coach. So the you know, offensive line coach would get after me, D-line coach. But there's times where the team just doesn't play well as a whole. Yeah. And then suddenly it's like, hey, we're going to have a team meeting and we're going to go through this film together. And you're like, oh, no, because this is everybody. 53 guys. And you're just hoping, like, don't let that laser pointer land on me. Well, and that in that instance, that's not even you getting reamed for something. That's like the equivalent of your mom or dad coming to you like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Yeah, that hurts. You know, that that's what worse. that yeah. feels like well, in my the mind. The whole team gets to see it, too. Oh. It's not just your position yeah. where it's, you know, you guys can feel what the guy's going through and you've been in that situation and you kind of understand mm -hmm. it. It's wide receivers are like, well, I know why I didn't get the ball now. I mean, that yeah. old lineman sucked. Yeah. He's not doing his job. <laughs> no. All the coaches, you know. But then, you know, we'd see some drops. Hey, I'm battling my butt. Butt off over here. Why don't I get the laser Trying to protect Jake, Jake DeLome, and I see a drop downfield. I'm like, let's go. Come on. <laughs> Make it good. For Make them. a catch, man. Well, we got, we got, we're running low on time. We got a couple more things I want to make sure we get to. Like, of course, previewing the Patriots game. We've touched on it a bunch throughout the show, but we are finally going to see Cam Newton take the field. We're going to see the big names. Cam Newton, Greg Olson, Christian McCaffrey, Luke Keekley, All these names that we've been waiting so patiently, maybe not so patiently, um, in the rafters to see. Now the question is, what are they going to do and how long do we get to see them for? I th I'm hoping for at least a half, especially offensively. Okay. The defense, a lot of starters out there last week, obviously, um, minus Luke and Shaq, but those guys did get to get some work together, so I expect them to, to play a while 
against the Patriots, but offensively, the quarterback hasn't played yet in a live game. And, you know, in less than three weeks, we're going against the Rams. I mean, they're coming to town. they got a full arsenal. We're going to have to keep up with them with scoring points. Cam's got to be out there and getting the flow with that first group and, you know, getting in sync with the center, taking live snaps from Matt Paradis. Hasn't done that yet. And that's, you know, that's the tandem you're working with, mm-hmm. you know, opening day. Paradis to Cam Newton, how those snaps go. How does the communication go? So I think it's imperative that they not only play a significant amount, at least a half, but it, it's productive. And you see them getting better as that half moves on so that when those live bullets start flying in a few weeks, um, you feel really good where the offense is. They just have not had a lot of time, and I understand it. You're keeping Cam protected a little bit under his situation. What he went through last year, it's well documented. But you got to see some live reps, that whole team together, and just see if they can put something together, a nice few drives, and leave you feeling like, okay, this, this team is a step closer to being where it needs to be week one. Yeah, for Ron Rivera and that coaching staff, I think on both sides of the ball, but specifically, you know, most importantly on the offense with Cam Newton, it's situational football. So more than snap count and more than the half, I think what they will want to see is that offense get put in certain situations, whereas short yardage situation, red zone situations, a two-minute drive. How do how are they going to execute in those different situations? If Ron is happy with that going in at halftime, there's no need for them to come out. But you always want to see how your team responds after the half, and that's been kind of a, an Achilles heel of this Panthers offense, a football team really under Ron Rivera. How do they respond out of the locker room at halftime? So it's going to be important. And for me, I just want to see Cam grip it and rip it, man. Just just let him launch it. Let's just get it over with early, play action pass, throw it to Curtis Samuel down the field. Let's see what he has, you know, the velocity on the ball. Samuel finally, you know, let him run an eight. It's like he said Samuel. Like, Notice it yeah. was Samuel. <laughs> just, just go. Just let him go. We've seen it all training camp, and we want to see it in a live game. You but need some this, Samuel, too. It's not just Samuel. me. <laughs> I need some Samuel. This is the dress rehearsal, and it gets the New England Patriots, and this is the only opportunity we're going to see what this team could be before they face the Rams at home in Bank of America Stadium. So um, I'm excited to see Cam get some short throws, get that confidence back. He talked about the mental uh, growth that he has to go through to get over the injury. So it would be good for him. A couple dumps to those electric wide receivers and let him go. Let's see CMC. Let's let's just work this offense and see what we have. Get them out of there. Get ready for the Rams. Anything specific you really want to see against the Patriots offense? We know they can be so potent, and they're going to be testing things as well. It's always going to be pass rush. If you're going to be able to impact a New England Patriot game, it's going to be moving Tom Brady off of the spot, throwing off that timing. So much of their offense is short routes, timing routes. If you can make him hitch a little bit and go to a second and third read, I mean, obviously he's the goat, right? He's the best to ever do it. You're going to be able to slow him down a little bit. So be physical with the guys on the outside. Uh, disrupt that timing of that offense and, and just really get after them. And we'll get an opportunity to see that with Irvin and Mario and uh, get Burns in there and give him a shot at it. So getting after Tom Brady, kind of throwing the rhythm of that offense off. Well, that'll certainly be a fun one to watch this week. But let's close this out with our first vocab lesson. Mm. Throughout these first shows, we've kind of been throwing the vocabulary in throughout the course of the show. But thought it would be good to make it its own little deal, its own little segment. I want to get the definition, example, use it in a sentence of twist and turn. Yeah, that's 
That's right in my wheelhouse, mm-hmm. right? Twisting the turn. Twist and turn and stunt. Yeah, Sorry. those those stunts, those <laughs> line stunts when you know, you can have a four man rush or you bring five during the blitz and those guys are usually just straight rushing, man on man. But if you get a twist and a turn, which are line stunts, then you get the exchange of lanes of, of pass rush gaps uh, by the defensive line. So a twist, for example, is that three technique, that defensive tackle is going to shoot up the field, try to take both the offensive guard and the offensive tackle to his side with him and allow the defensive end to loop un- loop underneath them and kind of shoot up the A gap. And it kind of, you know, you have to understand what their pr- protection is going to be. Are they zoning this thing off or are they man protecting it? And that's going to, you know, impact how how they block you or how they pass that that stunt off. And a turn is the opposite. So we can go out there and line up. I can line up with, with Chris Jenkins, and he can see something in protection, and he can go twist. He's telling me that I'm going to shoot up the field, I'm going to eat up two blockers, and I'm going to allow you to fold underneath and get the sack. And we saw that week one with Brian Burns really with a natural twist. They fell into a twist. And I know I talked to um, – I talked to Sam Mills the third about how good these guys could be pregame uh, before the Bills game, and he said no one taught them to do that. They kind of fell into it, but he has now told those defensive tackles, hey, get up the field. The defensive ends, if you see them and y'all are on the same level, keep going. They're going to fall underneath you. And the important part of it is you have to have pass rush lanes because if you pay, play guys like Cam Newton – and your pass rush lanes aren't together, they're going to have escape routes. They're going to be able to run. Well, tell them about, you know, the vocab part of this is sometimes when I was an offensive lineman, I could hear you guys talking, and I'd hear Mm -hmm. the word, you know, Ted or nut Mm -hmm. or different things like that. And that was basically just you're talking to each other. Who's going first to be the guy that's trying to penetrate and cause disruption? Who's the guy looping around? Yeah, the the words, I mean, they they obviously – So that's like a descriptive term? Yes, they're going to be an indication. So for a, a nut, so there's a nose that is kind of shaded on that center, and there's a tackle that's in the three. So in a nut, it's telling the nose is going under the tackle. So the nose is going to be first. So the end, the the end is the end, first. The end is first. Nut. And the tackle is coming, yeah. So it's just a little quick little is phrase you, you under, can tell us. nut, under? Under. Tackle. Yeah, he's going underneath the tackle. The tackle <laughs> is looping around. Okay. All right? So then in a Ted, it's the opposite. So if Chris Jenkins and Brinson Buckner are in there, Chris is at the nose, uh, Buck is at the three technique. If Buck says Ted, 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 then he's telling Chris, hey, I'm going to penetrate and now you come around. So the tackle first, mm. nose second. So what I'm noticing with a lot of this different terminology that when you when you first hear it as like a novice and you're not somebody that's played the game, you hear all these different things on TV. You're like, what in the world are these guys talking about? And you just kind of go with it because they, they move so fast that they move on to the next thing. But when you really break it down, they are acronyms or they are like when mm-hmm. you look at the Mike, Sam and Will, it's. Strong, strong, you know, strong yeah. middle and weak. Yeah, like they, they all are explained in, in a very reasonable and understanding way if you can take the time to break it down. So when someone. you watch this preseason game against the Patriots, turn your volume up and you'll hear the center calling out the Mike linebacker if it's on offense and you can listen in. <clears throat> Sometimes you will hear those defensive linemen calling out line stunts. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it could be anything and we'll change it up from time to time. So an ET is the same thing. Uh, as a turn you know the ends going first a te is the same as a twist the tackles going first and those things change depending on who you're playing and just to mix it up so you know you can't get those stolen offensive linemen we always used to be aware of 
like we'd see, we'd call it an ISO. Um, I don't know what the D-line would call it, but we always kind of said, you know, beware of the ISO, the ISO, because they could even involve a third man where <laughs> the tackle and the nose guard both pinch one direction violently and try and disrupt, and then a defensive end will go all the way around those two guys. And it takes a little longer to set up, so it might be a third and long situation where you're going to run something like that. But that takes it to another level where you're just not ready for it. And these things are effective because offensive linemen, what you're trying to do is you're one-on-one pass blocking. Suddenly you have these stunts and turns where guys are twisting. That means you got to work with the guy beside you and pass that off. So the guy that's penetrating really hard, you got to keep him flat enough that you can pass him to the guy beside you. He can take it over and give him the, enough support there and you don't – you know. Screw yourself by staying too long when that guy's looping around that you can't get back on him and shore up the protection. And this is interesting because in the game with the Bills, there was a couple of stunts where the offensive lineman for the Panthers did get in some trouble. And it's difficult when it's run really, really well. Um, one of the worst sacks I ever gave up, I'm playing for the Oilers, were in Cleveland. And I'm blocking Clay Matthews Sr., the dad, and he's a fantastic pass rusher. I was doing really well. And then one time he's coming up field. And he kind of paused for a minute. I'm like, oh, this is going to be an easy rep for me. It just didn't click right away that he was setting me up. (laughs) He was pausing before he was actually going to loop around. So he kind of came up field like he's rushing on me. So he played it so well, like an actor. He's like, oh, I'm coming on you, so I'm getting lined up. Out of nowhere, Michael Dean Perry hits me so hard in the ear hole. Like, I didn't know what hit me. I'm on the ground. I'm just – I'm almost blacked out. Clay um, wraps around there, gets the sack, and the worst part about it was that sack helped him become the all-time leader in sacks for the Cleveland Browns. So I'm in the huddle hearing this freaking announcement over the loudspeaker in Municipal Stadium in Cleveland. Hey, let's hear it for Clay Matthews Sr., all-time leading sacker with that sack. And I was just – there was nothing I could do. I had a great game too. One play ruined it. Went home on the plane ride just – I mean, my boys on the offensive line because we end up winning that game, so then it's all fun. Everyone's yeah, having fun. Then you're, then you're okay. It's fine. Everything turned out okay. But, man, um, all my boys were ragging me on the way home. It was tough. And here's the worst part. I'll end it with this. His brother's Bruce Matthews. He's on the offensive line with me. So it's brother versus brother in that game. It wasn't on that particular play. But, like, I look at the center in the huddle right after that, and you think he'd be, you know – feeling for me and a little whatever but it's like that was his brother that got the sack so he kind of just gives me this grin like I, I don't really know what to say to you sorry you're gonna live in, in <laughs> Cleveland Browns history as the guy giving up the sack to him uh, uh, so those stunts can be very very effective yeah very good we're gonna quiz everybody next week on these terms <laughs> twist you, turn nut Ted do you know why it's called a stunt just for my own knowledge no I don't um, know you know I, really so, it I mean we can go all day but there's like stunt means one thing for me and a line get, like a game means something else. So what we're talking about here are we call, I call those a, a line game. So we're gaming, we're working with another person. A stunt is just a gap exchange. So it could be two okay. people gap exchanging or a single gap exchange. Um, Which means you where got you're your, not working together. Yeah. Like where, where they're at, they're going across the face of the lineman to get a different gap. Yeah. So everyone's pinching, really pinching hard. strong. Yeah. yeah. So that, to me, is a stunt. Okay. Now, a game is when we're running those games. We're gaming the offensive line. Can we penetrate? Can we pick the tackle so the in, the defensive end can come loop around free and get a And this a may be something we talk about later. We can tease it since we're closing this show, uh-huh. is 
we weren't sitting ducks on the O-line. These cats, like, we'd pull out um, CSI. Like, we, we could investigate things and understand from yeah. film what they was getting ready to happen. Uh, we were good detectives. There was, okay. a, there was a read that Warren Sapp gave me every time when I knew he was going to stunt. And, you know, no one says anything. You don't say it. You just you figure it out from film. And I learned it, and that helped me successfully block Awareness, him. Awareness, <coughs> Film study. Wow. Film study. The All worst right. is when you're caught off guard. And for yeah. Lyman, you need to know ahead of time what are, like, the two or three worst things that can happen from this guy lined up at this position right here. If you can stop those, then maybe you can recover from a different thing he might show you. But you're just looking for tendencies. And these cats, you gave them away more than – and I know we did too. So maybe we can talk about <laughs> what our cheats were when we were watching film. It's going to get competitive. <laughs> it's going to get competitive. No, no, this was super entertaining as well as informative. You guys are the bomb. Thank you for sharing that and getting me learnt up a little bit. Uh, and next week, just for a little teaser for what we are going to for sure r- run into next week, is we're just going to break down the route tree a little bit and explain oh, yeah. some of those numbers and some of those names. The vocab lesson continues next week. It'll be fun. I've run a lot of routes. Not. <laughs> <laughs> but we've seen them done we've very well. Yeah. That's right. We've played some, some of the good best. ones. That's right. No, this is a great episode, guys. Appreciate you guys always breaking down the good stuff. And we'll see more of it next week on the Carolina line with Al Wallace and Kevin Donnelly. I'm Stormy Bonantoni. Listen to this again. Soon. <laughs>